Hello, hello. We're telling your followers Instagram. that you have started a live video. Right. Hi, Emily. We are going to get you involved. Here we go. Oops. I can cancel your request. Go live with. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Hi, Sarah, Sarah, Claudia. Hi, hey, Emily. Emily. Hi, Rebecca Ham. Emily, can you hear yeah. me? Hi, yeah. Um, hi, Emily. Good. Good. All okay? Manage the technology. <laughs> All right. Let's wait for a few more people to come on. And then we will get started. Hiya. Hi. You can send messages, send some love, give us some waves, let us know you're here. Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Emma. And Sophie. Hi, guys. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Sharon. This is all very exciting. <laughs> um, we were just saying before we came on that uh, the first couple of minutes are always um, a bit of a... Uh, time filler so we might talk a little bit of rubbish until we get to the <laughs> nitty-gritty ever talk rubbish <laughs> we do we talk a lot of rubbish. hello um who is that Amanda Amanda maybe m4 nd4 yeah yeah I reckon so. I would say so um so we decided to do um a little bit of um well, an information evening, basically, about uh, the menopause, perimenopause. Um, it has been, it's everywhere at the moment. It is the buzzword. Um, and Charlotte and myself, we run these 12-week transformation programs, which we know lots of you are on or have been on. Um, and so many more um, peri and menopausal women That's are joining. Amanda, hi. Oh, hi, Amanda. Hi, well, Amanda. Good. Um, <laughs> So what we really wanted to do is have a little evening to discuss um, the impact of uh, menopause on everything from uh, fat loss and exercise, but also all about HRT, um, how to relieve certain symptoms possibly without using um, hormone treatment and so on. Um, anything to add to that? Also, what uh, you know, is becoming more aware, and Anna and I have been doing lots and lots of reading and lots of research because because we're working with so many women now in their midlife um, and that we didn't really realize how early um, perimenopause and the symptoms of perimenopause starts um, and so we also feel like this is a very interesting topic for um, our peers we have just you know turned 40 and um, you know all these things are now going to be quite imminent and so we really felt that it was the right time um, to really start reading up on it and getting ourselves um, a bit more um, clued in, yeah, clued in, so that we can help ourselves and our clients, um, and obviously getting an expert and doctor like Emily on to help us um, is going to be super helpful. So let's get started. You give um, Emily a little intro, and then we can just kick off. Okay, so. We have here Dr. Emily Simon. Emily is also a very old friend of ours. We've known Emily since we were all very young kids. So this is um, just as lovely to have her on, um, obviously for her expertise, but also 
um, because she is a lovely friend. But just a little background on Emily. So Emily is a GP. She has a special interest in sexual and women's health. She holds diplomas in obstetrics. <laughs> I was the one that was going to say that. Gynecology and sexual reproductive health and recently attained membership to the Institute of Psychosexual Medis Medicine. There's a lot of long words here, Emily. She Sorry. currently has <laughs> private GP at Brook Surgery and, has an, and is an NHS speciality doctor in the Haringey Islington Gynecology Collaborative Service. She manages complex menopause patients as part of her daily work and lectures extensively on the subject. So, thanks. <laughs> Wadi. Welcome. So, we just wanted to have a little evening, an information evening for all of our lovely transformers who are heading towards uh, menopause, perimenopause, or already there, um, just to give us a little bit more information and insight. So, where should we get started? So, you start. Okay, so, I mean, the first, the first question for you is... Um, as soon as people start getting symptoms and head to their GPs, they're often being given sort of the wrong information or mismanaged. Um, so when someone turns up, you know, at your surgery um, with symptoms, what, what is step one? What is stage one? How does it all get uh, started? Okay, so I think, I think just beforehand, in terms of thinking about why it might be mismanaged is... is, is, is kind of interesting um and in order to understand that it's good to get a bit of background on where we are in terms of menopause and hrt in 2021 because um things have changed quite drastically in the last 30 or 40 years um it used to be in the late in the 80s 90s you know gps were prescribing hrt quite freely and then around the turn of the century there were two very big studies that came out um which had a causal link between HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute, um, and breast cancer and also cardiovascular disease. So at that point, there was a change, um, a bit of a sea change, and then GPs and doctors generally were advised and moved away from prescribing it. Um, there were then subsequent studies, and in fact, then we looked back at the original studies and we saw that actually a lot of the data had been misinterpreted and actually it was a lot safer than we had thought. But it means that now we're in a state where there are a lot of, or a position where there are a lot of doctors who are still nervous, if you like, from the time when it was considered that HRT might not be that safe. And it's quite hard to kind of rewire the thinking that actually it's safer than we think it is. Um, that said, I mean, your GP is your first port of call for menopause and they should be able to help you. Um, so when people can't, I mean, what we have to remember about menopause is it is a normal life event. Um, every woman, who lives beyond, you know, lives to middle age is going to experience it. Um, and what's happening during that time is um, your ovaries are stopping to produce estrogen. And estrogen is, um, I think of estrogen as like the ultimate female hormone. It's like, it's buoyant, it makes things moist, it makes things plump, it makes things soft, um, it makes things lubricated. Like, I don't know, if you were to think of like a Renaissance woman or something, that's like estrogen. It's very kind of that, that kind of plump, moist, you know, hormone. That's what it does do in the body. So when we start to lose it, when our levels start to drop around the menopause, then we, then we start to experience symptoms. And the symptoms are from kind of the estrogen levels falling. Um, so 
what, what do, we, do we talk about the symptoms? What symptoms you might see? Um, oh, what, what symptoms are manageable? What symptoms can you manage without HRT? So what most people tend to present with, there's a few things. Historically, I would say people always presented with hot flushes and night sweats. And they are, if you like, the cardinal, uh, the, I don't know, the, the cardinal symptoms of, of menopause. Um, there was, um, I remember when we were watching House of Cards, like about 10 years ago, me and my husband, and there's a scene when the, the wife, you know, with the very short blonde hair, she's, at some point she's standing in the kitchen and she opens the fridge door and like kind of stands in front of the fridge. And my husband, and I'm like, oh, she's having a hot flash. And my husband's like, what? Like, you know, what, what's happening here? Um, whereas now, like hot flushes, as you said, has you know become a real thing that we talk about. But that was always the one. Hot flushes and night sweats were the, always the kind of the the triggers for people historically. Um, and what a hot flush is for people that haven't experienced it yet um, is it's a sensation of rising heat. Usually, it usually starts kind of lower down, and then it comes up and it incorporates you. Like you actually feel hot because actually what's happening is your body temperature is going up two degrees during that lasts a few minutes and then it and then it comes back down to normal and often when it comes back down to normal then you feel a bit cold and you want to you kind of feel like you need to strip off when it's going up and then you need to dress up when it's going warm and that's your typical like kind of hot flush if you like a night sweat is usually what people describe is that they will wake up at night drenched like their clothes that they will actually be physically wet that they need to take off their pajamas and you know or their bed sheets will be wet and they need to actually put on so it's not like just feeling warm at night or it's not just feeling a bit warm during the day these are like kind of quite um strong symptoms if you like or sensations um what's interesting about the menopause is um 20 percent of women or so will have very few symptoms they will almost they'll just sail through it they won't notice much they won't have these vasomotor these hot flushes night sweat symptoms what we call the vasomotor symptoms um and they'll be fine they might experience a little bit of brain fog but maybe that or, or not even that on the other extreme they have about 20 percent of women who will have extreme symptoms like they will have drenching night sweats they will have hot flushes almost back to back such that they can't really function in their day or that they can't be anywhere without a fan or change of clothes or things like this and most women, as with all things in medicine and in life generally, most women fall somewhere in between. So there's like a massive range of how people experience the menopause. Um, I mean, the other, the other things that people, those are the ones that people typically present with. More recently, I would say in the past year or two, since it's kind of gained a bit of publicity in the press, I would say people present more with mood changes. Um, you know, feeling a bit of a, what we call a labile mood. So feeling a bit depressed, feeling a bit low. That's one thing that people sometimes present with. And the other thing I would say is the main symptom that people present with is, um, um, oh, what was I just going to say? Um, is brain fog, yeah. So having, hmm, ah, I um, <laughs> I'm heading there. Is it like, you know, your, your brain is not as sharp as it once was. You can't think, you know, you used to be really good at things and you can't, and it doesn't feel like it's just normal aging forgetfulness. It feels like you just aren't functioning, at, yeah. you know, so those tend to be kind of the early, I mean, and obviously I guess the main early symptom, if you like, that I haven't mentioned, but should not be forgotten, is, um, is that you're changing periods. Um, in our generation, actually, interestingly, most women are on contraception by the time they're approaching the menopause. So the change in periods has become less of a presenting sign or symptom, if you like, than previously, because a lot of women have the marina coil in or they're on the pill or, you know, they're on different things that therefore you know, their periods are no longer a reliable thing. But for some women, 
they'll come in and say, you know, my periods have become very irregular and they might become a bit heavier or they've changed. They used to be this way and now they've become this way. They used to be clockwork and now they're not clockwork. You know, your periods do start to change. And that is like, if you like, the, the primary symptom of menopause. And, and what age um, should people start really be looking out for? Or well, more... So interesting. So the normal, the normal range normal range of menopause is from the age of 45 to 55 that's what we that is like that encompasses that's what is we consider normal if you start to go through the menopause between the age of 40 and 45 you would call that early menopause and if you are starting to have symptoms or go through the menopause before the age of 40 that is premature menopause and that's actually quite a separate thing um because that is we wouldn't expect that like if you're younger than 40 then that is like really kind of almost too young if you like um so 40 to 45 you would say that's early but quite normal and then 45 to 55 is what we would expect and most women in the uk the average age of menopause in the uk is 51 but we it's a bit complicated by the fact that we say you've gone through the menopause when it's been a year since your last period but obviously in the build-up is when we talk about this perimenopause and that's when you start to have symptoms but you still might be having regular periods um you know you're just your body your hormone levels are just starting to change and that's the perimenopause and when your hormone levels start to change is it blood work that you would um then have a good look at um, in order to prescribe or is it done based uh, just solely on symptoms um well the blood tests are not very useful actually um they if in somebody who's younger than 40 we would use blood tests um to to make a diagnosis of uh, like what we call premature menopause um but in younger women 40 to 45 we might use a blood test um but after the age of 45 a blood test is not very useful in in helping us at all really because what you're looking for in the blood test is some, there's two things really one is something called fsh which is follicle stimulating hormone and one is estrogen levels so these are the two things you're looking at but if a woman comes in to see me and she's got drenching night sweats and hot flushes and her, she's all over the place and she's not, she's not she's finding very hard to have relationships with people and I do her blood levels and her FSH levels normal and her estrogen levels normal, I'm not going to say to her, mm, actually, this is not menopause, therefore we're not going to treat you. Um, and, you know, kind of converse to someone who's fine and doesn't have any symptoms, if we do their FSH level and it's super high, then you wouldn't treat them. So it's really... You, HRT is very much dependent on how you are experiencing and treating it, 100. If, if your estrogen levels are dropping, which they would be if they're ready, you're starting to experience the um, kind of night sweats and um, hot flashes, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, then why would it not show up on a, on a blood test? Why would, why would estrogen levels look normal if already... So your estrogen levels, as all your hormone levels do, they fluctuate. Quite, there's quite a lot of what we call diurnal variation. So they fluctuate quite a lot during the day. So at any one time, it's kind of a snapshot in time of what your hormones are doing. And it could be different if you did it a few hours later or a few hours earlier. Actually, with estrogen in particular, estrogen is less sensitive than this follicle stimulating hormone. But actually, estrogen levels don't typically fall low until really once you've gone beyond so once it's been like a year beyond, since your last period, that's when you would maybe find your estrogen levels are recordably low in the blood test. In the perimenopause, they're very rarely abnormal, the estrogen levels. Um, also, all the other, I know um, we've spoken about the kind of the main um, symptoms, but all of the other um, kind of common things like vaginal dryness, which a lot of people don't want to talk about, but 
um, I was reading a um, article today in the Sunday Times that Mariella Fostrop had written because she has um, written a book about it and her experience with menopause. And also there is um, an MP, and I can't remember her name, I should have written notes, but I didn't at the time, um, who is leading a... Um, a new she's writing a new bill for menopause and she basically wants Jacob Reese Mogg to say vaginal dryness in the House of Commons. <laughs> this is like her aim. I thought that was quite hilarious. I um, know. It's a wonderful sign of our times. I do really think that actually. Like, that about it. It's so amazing. Yeah. Um so vaginal dryness is a huge one, yes. Yeah. And and that's what I seem to be reading everywhere. That is what everybody's talking about. And yeah. Um, so is that because of estrogen or is that due to other things? And no. Well, so, vaginal those... so vaginal dryness, sorry, what did you say? When are those symptoms likely to kick in? Um, so they can happen at any time. They're not really considered the early. So a bit later on is when we start to see vaginal dryness. But some women will present with a dry vagina, but typically they're not the kind of the early symptoms. Um, a bit further down the line, you start to have um, vaginal dryness. Um, you might no notice that your skin and that your hair is dry. You might notice that your joints are a bit achier, actually, um, and that you get your body's not kind of quite as physically strong as it once were. And this is these are the symptoms you see a little bit later. Now, vaginal dryness is really a big one because, um, first of all, it's obviously something that's not really been spoken about up yeah. until recently, um, and. When you ask like, what is actually happening is that the estrogen, again, really keeps the vagina moist is what it does. It keeps actually the cells plump and it keeps the vagina moist. And as you get older and as you actually enter into later old age, if you like, in your 60s and 70s, we do start to see something called um, atrophic vaginitis, which is like kind of a kind of almost a, like a shrinking of the vagina, which has happened because the estrogen level, because of the lack of estrogen. So estrogen, like I said in the beginning, you know, this kind of female hormone that keeps everything buoyant and moist. Um, and that's, that's what, that's, if you want to know what it does, that's what it does. Um, so that is, so the vaginal dryness that you see, that, some women can experience it earlier, but most people, they start to notice it a bit more down the line um and it has a lot of effects that it has the effect of making sex uncomfortable that's one of the effects it can have the effect of making the vagina feel itchy it can also increase your risk of um having a prolapse so the kind of the, the um you kind of losing laxity of the vaginal walls themselves um and it can also increase your chances of having urinary tract infections so it's not a nothing symptom and it's not one to be disregarded. And it's actually, um, I think, a very, very important one to be on top of. And often with women that we do treat with HRT treatment, still find that despite it, that their vagina is still a little bit dry. And then we often use topical like vaginal gels or creams in the area to kind of keep it, um, to keep it uh, moist, moist. <laughs> exactly. Because there's so many to do it it's like so it's so helpful to do it okay. so so talk us through a treatment plan someone comes in they're ready to start hrt is it you know what what are the different hormones that you might um prescribe and how would the treatment plan look and also we want to hear a little bit about the advantages of taking you know hrt and possibly the disadvantages as well okay so 
the the hormone that you're replacing in hrt is estrogen and that's quite important to remember that that is your main hormone it's your estrogen levels which fall markedly dur during the perimenopause and menopause era time um, and that's the one that you're replacing so first and foremost when we thinking about starting a woman on hrt and it's a discussion to be had because like you say there are some risks um if somebody you know, is experiencing symptoms or for whatever reason they want to start HRT, the thing that you would think about um, prescribing them is estrogen. Now it comes in various forms. You can either, it comes in patches, it comes in gels, um, it comes in tablets. Um, but if you have a womb and you're taking estrogen into your body, then the estrogen can make the lining of the womb become thick. And then that can subsequently put you at risk of what we call endometrial cancer, which is essentially cancer of the lining of the womb. So if you are taking estrogen into your body, in order to protect the lining of the womb, you have to take progesterone. So that's how the second hormone comes in. So estrogen is your number one hormone that you are replacing. Progesterone you're bringing in because of, to protect the lining of the womb. And actually women who have had hysterectomies, you wouldn't start them on progesterone. Okay. So those are the kind of, they're, they're your kind of basic tools of HRT. If you are established on HRT, um, and either like it could be a combination tablet, a combination patch, a combination, like, you know, whatever, whichever way you're taking it. If then, you know, a bit later on down the line, you may say that you're, you know, you're fine, your symptoms are controlled, you're no longer having hot flushes or night sweats, but, you know, you've still got vaginal dryness, say, for example, then you would say, well, let's add a, an extra vaginal cream, uh, estrogen vaginal cream. Or you would say, look, everything's fine, but my libido is low. And this is a very big thing that happens around uh, menopause. It's like a lot of what people present with often is like, you know, low libido, reduced sexual desire. Um, then you may think, although it's often multifactorial, um, but then you may consider at that point adding in some testosterone because testosterone in some women and in some studies have proven to kind of increase your kind of uh, desire, want to have, wanting to have sex, kind of general libido. So that is kind of your bread and butter, if you like, of HRT. Um, now, in terms of the risks, so the big, the big risk, the one that everyone talks about, and I think almost everyone knows about, and the thing that kind of scared doctors at the, at the turn of this century, was breast cancer. And we know that breast cancer is quite rife in our communities anyway. Um, you know, it, it, definitely the kind of the most common cancer amongst women. And so... The question was, and there were these two studies which showed, that one the Women's Health Initiative and one the Million Women study, that both showed that they think that there was a causal link between taking these extra estrogens into your body and an increased risk of breast cancer. Now, what has in fact been shown is that if you are taking HRT for more than five years beyond the age of 50, then you have a slight increased risk of breast cancer. So that's like one of the risks, if you like. But there's caveats attached to that. You also have an increased risk of breast cancer if you're drinking a glass of wine a night. You know, there's lots of other ways that, you know, if you're overweight, there's lots of other ways that can, you know, that can um, act as risks, if you like, to that. Um, but that's the kind of, that was the big one that people were scared about. The second one that people were scared about, I think, is clots. Having a clot in your leg or having a clot in your lung. Um, and again, if you take it definitely beyond the age of 60, then we do see increased risks. But actually, if you are younger than 60 and you're using it through the, if you're taking what we call transdermal, so estrogen that you're applying through the skin rather than in a tablet form, actually there is no significant increased risk. 
the other things that people are worried about is heart disease um, and strokes. And again, with those, if you're taking it or beyond the age of 60 for more than five years, then your risk can increase. But if you're not, then actually the risks are minimal. So it's quite complicated and it's quite hard to understand the risks. But what I would say is kind of in a nutshell, as a kind of in a nutshell, if you like, is if you start taking HRT in your 40s or 50s and you take it for maybe five years or seven years, seven years is actually kind of the amount of time that people typically do end up taking it for, because that's usually the amount of time that people need it in order to get beyond the menopause symptoms, um, then actually your risks are very small. Um, we've got we've got a question here. Um, and actually, it was it was what I was about to ask. Um, so Anna, um, I will ask for you. Um, do you stop taking HRT at some point? And if so, when would you stop? Um, I was going to say the same thing is there, you know, post menopause. Um, don't don't us women still wouldn't it be benefit us still to have estrogen and extra to help us, you know, still stay young and vibrant and <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is, I mean, I do think like once I start, when will you, when you, will you really ever want to call? Okay, but you, it, being sensible about this. So it used to be in the late 19th century, the average women were dying typically around the age of 51. That was your life expectancy. And now our life expectancy is 85, I think. So we're going to have like 34 most of us are going to have kind of 34 years in a menopausal state now to take extra estrogen into your body sorry i just had a message come up to take extra estrogen into your body for all that time definitely will increase your start at some point to increase your risks um but again even you know, I have some patients who are like 72 who are still, and not many actually, um, but are still taking HRT, um, but not that many because, you know, I, do, I did have one woman who was 71 and she was really like, her symptoms were too bad and she wanted to be on it and then she had a stroke and her main risk factor was that she was on HRT. Now that's not to say that everyone who's on HRT in their 70s will have a stroke, but it does increase your risk. Does at that point increase your risk of breast cancer, does increase your risk of heart attack, you know, does increase your risk of clotting. So, at some point you're saying you 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 make a decision you make a decision in some extent with your clinician but like is the risks still outweighing the benefits and probably there hits a point that it doesn't also and this is important to understand is um you only really experience those vasomotor symptoms those like hot flushes and night sweats for a period for a period of time it's not forever you know you don't see women in their 60s and 70s usually with hot flushes and night sweats. There are some women that do, but typically you don't. You see it around this perimenopause, menopause, when your body's actually changing, that's when you seem to experience the worst symptoms, if you like, of the flushes and the night sweats. So the idea is that you use HRT to ride the menopause, so to use it for the amount of time that you need to get beyond those symptoms to be able to function. And typically that is five to seven years. Some women will take it way beyond that. Some women will only will take it for a shorter amount of times. The one thing I would say that we would continue to use well into old age would be vaginal estrogen. Like, so talking about, thinking about that vaginal dryness, that is only going to get worse and worse and worse as you get older. And we know with uh, vaginal estrogen are tiny, like the amount of actual estrogen that gets absorbed into the bloodstream when you use it on your vagina is tiny. So actually you can continue to use vaginal estrogen in your 60s and in your 70s and that's okay. But in terms of taking what we call systemic, which is like the tablets, the patches, the gels, usually that's that 
five to seven years. And what's the risk of not taking anything at all? We keep hearing about, you know, heart disease, osteoporosis and all the things that it benefits um, in addition to treating the symptoms. Um, you know, what are the risks of not taking it? So osteoporosis is an interesting one. So we haven't really spoken about that. So what, what is one of the effects of estrogen is it does keep your bones strong. Um, and what osteoporosis is, is a disease of the thinning of the bones. So as you get older, your what we call your bone mass density, which is how strong your bones are, become less and less and less. Um, and so women currently, and there is, there is a move actually of the National Osteoporosis Society, but currently where we stand on this, is if you are somebody who has, whose mother had osteoporosis or something like this, then we would really strongly recommend you do take HRT up until the age of about 60, usually. Um, definitely up until the age of about 50, kind of to protect your bones. But after that, there are other treatments that you use specifically for HRT. You wouldn't rely just on estrogen because then again, the risks come in. And there are other medications, something called raloxifene and then um, bisphosphonates. These are kind of bone building medication things. So then you would start to take that. So you would use osteoporosis. You would use estrogen to prevent osteoporosis during this middle age period, you know, 40s, maybe 50s, 60s, and then you would, and then you would um, switch on to other medication that will protect your bones. So that's that's what you would do for for um, osteoporosis, heart disease. Well, we do know that women, men in their 50s are much more likely to have heart attacks than women in their 50s, and we think that that's because estrogen is a bit protective. However, again, it's one of those things that once you go beyond the age of 60, actually, what you often see is an increase in heart disease um, in people that are on HRT. So. Again, it's finding that right balance. Okay, we've got a couple of questions, but before we um, discuss the questions, um, people often talk about weight gain. Mm. So weight gain around the menopause and weight gain um, having been on HRT. Um, what's, what are your thoughts? Is this just a coincidence? Is this... Okay. So, this actually brings me to one of my favorite points to mention, because this is, I think, what people really poorly understand, doctors included. Um, is that, um, no, Toby, no, sorry, no, no, um, sorry, um, <laughs> uh, Toby, darling, you can't be in here, shut the door, shut the door, la la la, okay, so, sorry, um, when we're thinking about, um, the reason this came up when we me and Shah were talking about this before is Shah said, you know, a lot of people say that when they go on the pill that they gain weight. So is that true of HRT? And this is a really big thing to understand is that when you're on the pill, the pill, the combined contraceptive pill, you are taking high dose synthetic estrogens into your body to override your natural menstrual cycle. That is what you're doing when you take the combined pill. So you're when you're taking HRT, you are taking low doses of natural estrogen to replace what your body would normally be making. So it's quite a different thing. Um, and so HRT, whilst you may be someone who was sensitive to estrogen when you were on the pill when you, in your younger years and that you, were, thought, you felt that you like, gained weight at that time, you typically are not likely to gain weight with um, HRT. In fact, when you go through the menopause, and if you look at elderly women, if you like, what you will notice is that they typically have what we call kind of central obesity or central weight gain, because that's how our bodies change as we get older. Um, and that is because of the lack of estrogen, actually. We tend to gain weight much more around our middles. 
which can then subsequently actually increase our risk of heart disease. Um, so not taking HRT will change, cause your body to change. I mean, anyway, as we get older, our bodies are going to change. But HRT itself is not going to cause you to gain weight. And if anything, during the period that you're on it, you are more likely to maintain what is kind of your normal figure, if you like, um, than once you kind of go beyond into the aging process. All right. Um, All right. Should we go through a couple of questions? I do yes, want to discuss wanted... a little bit about exercise in a minute. Yes. Obviously, that's where one. we're from. We've got a couple before, if you okay. don't mind. So, right. um, foods. Are there any uh, foods that naturally contain estrogen that you can sort of get by without taking HRT? Are there any what, sorry? Foods. Foods Food. that... So there are some foods that contain what we call phytoestrogens, which are things that, that look kind of chemically quite similar to estrogen. Um, and those are things like pulses and lentils and beans, soya. Um, there's a few Black things. What one? Black seeds as well have. Quite possibly. So those ones can, those some people do find to help. There are also some, I mean, if you go to like Hollander Barrett or to a healthy shop, there are quite a lot of um alternative medical uh, alternative to hrt therapies uh, and some of them work better than others um the main ones we see are something called black cohosh yeah like a black bark um red clover evening primrose oil mm, i think those are the main ones um and of those black cohosh is the one that typically people do find sometimes can help them with their symptoms for some people that really can't take hrt there are other medicines that you know gps or doctors will prescribe for you um i mean there was a time quite recently i would say you would go to your gp with like you could there was a risk you would go to your gp with your hot flush of the night spots and they'd send you away with an antidepressant um and whilst there is definite evidence that some antidepressants do help definitely with the mood and actually that there's a lot of reasons why somebody might be feeling um more depressed or the mood might be more up and down around that period you know children leaving home sense of aging you know there's a, it's a very kind of complex psychological time as well and it's important not to lose sight of that um so you know there are other medicines that can help there is one medicine called clonidine which can help a bit with hot flushes that is an, a blood pressure medication that some people find will help um and again but really for the HRT is kind of the best at managing those symptoms, but these other things can also really work for people. And these are for people, because there will, there will be some people who have got either a history of breast cancer in their family or have had breast cancer themselves or other cancers um, that they'll be told they're not allowed to go on HRT. Yeah. So there, there are other things for them out there. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, one thing I would say is there's a lot of people who have had things in their history or have family history of things and probably could take HRT. Um, it might need to be done under a specialist clinic and it would only be really, you would only really consider it if they were really suffering with their symptoms. Um, but, you know, it's not like, unlike the combined pill, which is like you can't take if you're overweight, you can't take if you suffer with migraines, you can't take, you know, that, you know, can't take if you have high blood pressure. This is, these are not true kind of things, uh, for HRT because like I said it's a much lower dose that you're taking into your body so it's not like it's not outlawed for so many people but there are going to be lots of women that can't take it for whatever reason um, and then yes there are alternatives and other ways and lifestyle I, that comes into you lifestyle ways that you can uh, that you can definitely improve your symptoms okay well I mean we'll be able to talk a little bit more about that in a minute like the whole lifestyle thing but um, we've well, got I 
a, a question. This is a quite lifestyle. Um, are there any lifestyle choices that can delay menopause or lessen impact of the menopause? Uh, yes, definitely. So um, things that can definitely help with the way you experience menopause is um, all the fun things. So, you know, not drinking much alcohol, um, not smoking, exercising three times a week. Um, there was a study I, I was discussing before. There, is a, there was a study that said if you do cardiovascular exercise three times a week to get your heart rate up, then you um, are less likely to experience the vasomotor symptoms like the hot flushes and night sweats. Um, the jury's out, really, because it's not been very, very well proven, but it, there are some studies that do indicate that cardiovascular exercise does definitely help. Um, so d good diet, exercise, not drinking, not smoking, taking things like um, making sure your diet's got a lot of calcium and vitamin D, and this comes back into protecting your bones from the osteoporosis, which I was talking about earlier. Um, those are other things that can all help. Okay, but, yeah. Our perspective, I mean, strength training, um, you know, those obviously lessen the severeness of uh, osteoporosis and um, also keeping, you know, women really, really strong is so vital. And, and, um, and preventing women from, especially as bones are weakening, uh, strength training is so important to prevent falls that at the end, you know. Yeah. I mean, strength training. All sorts. Strength training is so, is important on so many, so many, you're much more likely your muscles and things become a lot more lax also post the menopause so you're much more likely to suffer with backache um you're much more likely um your pelvic floor will become weaker you know all of these things happen as you get older and if your core you know kind of muscles is strong it's going to help you a lot it's going to help you with your back it's going to help you with symptoms of incontinence or you know prolapse and things like this it's, it really is and like you say it's good weight bearing exercise which will keep your protect your joints protect your bones and it also makes you feel great which is uh you know can absolutely help symptoms of uh, menopause we've we've question here my mum has osteoporosis ah would weightlifting be enough to protect my bones or is that not enough just talking about this um, okay, so I mean, it's a hard question to say because it's it, it depends on your personal risk. So having a mum that has osteoporosis would having a first degree relative does already put you in a slightly higher risk category. Um, and you know, at some point, it would be worth measuring your bone mass density as you like kind of get older but it also depends on how you were built um you know you can have a very we typically when you think of osteoporotic people they're typically small petite bird like bird-like women is what we call them um so you could have a quite a petite mum yourself could not be that way inclined at all so already kind of from a genetic point of view it's not a given that just because your mum had it um that you have it uh, weightlifting is very good it protects the bones um it protects the joints protects the, keeps the bones strong because the bones insert the muscles insert into bones so if you keep your muscles strong then that does keep your bones stronger um you need to have good calcium and vitamin d in your diet um it's not a given you can't there's you, nothing is ever there's never one thing that's just enough you know you've always got to be looking out for your, you've got to be looking after yourself um and doing the most you can to protect and then you need to be monitoring your bone mass density like is it is it normal or you know is it low do you need to have take extra supplements or not in terms of calcium um are we generally getting enough sort of day to day if we have some dairy in our diet or would we need to take a supplement um, typically we get quite good cut in the UK we don't really see much in the way of calcium deficiency um, you know we're the nation of lattes and uh, cappuccinos um, I mean 
dairy did kind of has slightly gone out of favor in terms of like soy milks and things like this but most women have got enough dairy in their diet to keep their calcium levels normal what we see much much more actually is that we're all vitamin d deficient and you need both calcium and vitamin d to keep your bones strong and because we live in the uk um the vitamin D, which we get from sunlight, we don't get much because there isn't much sunlight. Um, and then when there is the sunlight, then we cover ourselves in factor 50 sun cream, which is what we need to do to protect our, our skin. But then again, we're reducing our vitamin D. So most people, we check vitamin D levels and they're slightly, you know, they're slightly deficient. I, I probably, there was no harm in everybody taking a vitamin D supplement every day and their children as well. We very, very rarely, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anyone who's got too much vitamin D in the UK. It's just, we're all a bit deficient, basically. Recommend all our clients to uh, take vitamin D as well. Um, and also, hopefully, our Transformers are eating so much Greek yogurt and drinking so <laughs> much whey protein that uh, their calcium levels should be pretty good. So uh, keep going with the Greek yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um Okay, was there? I I have a question about managing symptoms that do uh, that don't include taking HRT. So we've obviously discussed that exercise has a huge benefit and good um, lifestyle and diet. Is there anything else? Is there apart from um, you know those extra uh, supplements you could take? Is there any other sort of lifestyle choices you could make to relieve? symptoms mm -hmm. like what you're thinking i mean you can use lubrication when you're having sex and vaginal moisturizers those are things you can do which are not hormones no they are and um the ones i'd recommend take your notes is repellent vaginal moisturizer and yes and silk lubricants they're very good um when you're having sex they're like the better lubricants to be using um in terms of lifestyle like it's the, it's the thing good healthy diet um taking vitamin d supplements exercising three times a week uh not smoking reducing your alcohol intake you know these are the things that really are going to help you during this tran transition basically um a big um complaint that lots of perimenopause and menopausal women complain about is uh, disturbed sleep and sort of just general fatigue um what would you recommend if that's the case um so actually um one of so when I said before about progesterone that we really only use it to protect the lining of the womb, there is one progesterone that we use called Eutrogestan, um, which is uh, quite a natural, nice uh, progesterone to take. And we recommend that women that are on HRT, um, kind of the safest way to take HRT is actually to, through the skin. That's the safest way. Um, and most women, if I can, I will start them on um, this transdermal estrogen so estrogen through the skin usually with a pump um and so it's like a squirt and you kind of rub it in your arm or in your leg that would be one pump and you do two to four pumps a day and then you need the progesterone as well and actually one of the progesterones that we typically prescribe called eutrogestin you take at night and women find that it helps them sleep better so um just by virtue of having estrogen it's going to protect you against night sweats which is obviously disrupting your sleep um and then also, you know, this eutrogestin can also help you sleep well at night. And I think it is really important. And I don't want to like just fob off kind of the psychology of what's going on and how, how it can be quite a traumatic and difficult time for people. Um, and I think HRT is not the answer to everything. You know, it, it, it's really important to look after kind of your mental health around this time, not just with medication, but through like, you know, therapy or whatever it is that is mindfulness, you know, yoga, meditation, whatever it is, because it can, it is a kind of 
tricky time, tricky thing to navigate because your body is changing, that your circumstances in your world are often changing. And all of this can be quite disruptive. And that I think is an important thing just to mention. It really is a massive transition from being kind of yeah. in and quite young and vibrant and feeling, um, you know, vivacious and sexy. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I am like, you know, going into a stage where I'm going to be considered an older person. And, you know, are people going to, you know, treat us differently and look at us differently? And I think um, you're right in terms of the mental health aspect. I think that for some people, um, it really is a big factor. Yeah, and from a psychological uh, perspective, we hear, you know, people are having obviously babies later and later in their late 30s, early 40s. And that sort of space between being fertile and being able to have children and then going into sort of perimenopause seems to, you know, be... Yeah. Um, that, in a that. logical gap to uh, get over, isn't it? Yeah, and we really that that we're really really seeing because you know in the sixties and seventies people were having their pregnancies in their early twenties, and nowadays the vast majority of pregnancies are in their thirties, you know, and later on now. So you're right, people can really be having babies one minute, two years later, starting to be getting you know kind of menopausal symptoms. Um, and actually, you know, for some women, for women. I mean, I don't think our worth is anyway really tied up to having babies, but <laughs> but I really don't. However, for some women, whether you've had a family or you haven't had a family, you don't really want that choice taken away from you. know, And that is something that people do find that, you know, it's, it's a change. Like, oh, right, if I wanted to, now I can't anymore. And that can be quite difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have any questions? We have been chatting away. Yes, welcome so. to ask anything that you don't feel we've covered. Um, yes. And in terms of, I'm just thinking if, if we've missed anything in well, terms of exercise and diet, I think, you know, we've covered, Emily said that uh, doing cardiovascular exercise three times a week will really help with um, your hot flushes, night sweats and things like that. And also could possibly help with um, slowing down the onset of perimenopause. Um, and obviously strength training is going to be super important, but um, I actually wanted to say one thing and that was um, a bit about diet and how important protein is. And um, Anna and I bang on about protein on our Ace Transform all the time. It's, you know, we, we want everybody to focus on protein more than anything else because no one really does eat enough of it. And again, as we get older, protein is only gonna help keep our, our muscles stronger um, our, our bones stronger um, and um, it's just a, a great um, tool as well in terms of weight loss it's a really satiating macronutrient it keeps us really full for longer um, so protein 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 and and yeah all the books I've been reading as well you know they all say the same thing it's really women should be trying to get in um, and should be focusing on their protein and almost like their they don't have to be as um, extreme as a bodybuilder, but maybe to think in terms of protein at every meal, protein, you know, with every snack, so that you are getting enough protein throughout the day to really um, keep you strong. <laughs> my little... Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, what we found really interesting is when we started the Ace Transform, our 12-week uh, fat loss program, we found ourselves working with more of a sort of 25 to 35 age group and we were seeing amazing results. And very slowly, um, the age group started creeping up and now we are working 
with a huge amount of women who are sort of between 50 and 55 and we are managing to make huge differences and it's really really interesting when when you know people have suddenly found that they have um got a little bit more fat around their middle obviously we can't take away the fat around their middle but we have really been seeing massive results in terms of weight loss and strength training which is obviously what we've been uh, talking about all evening so it's been really exciting um yeah a lot of these women have been um like so thrilled that they've found something that's helped them um and they've tried most of them have come having tried you know every diet out there um, and it's not that we're selling anything special. We're not. Um, we've got a fantastic program and it's um, an amazing, supportive program with loads of accountability. And, um, but really what we are showing people is that you can live your life pretty normally um, and live in moderation and have a little bit of everything that you love and you can still get fantastic results. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, very exciting. Um we're going back a little bit, but um, you know, I keep re hearing and reading about, um, you know, I discussed before um, how to deal with other symptoms, side effects, signs of uh, menopause, and um, you know, like you were saying about the mindfulness, but um, therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy, and so many other therapies have been have uh, been have proven really helpful. I think in this period as well. Um, when do you, when would you you know refer someone? When would you suggest that someone sort of got a little bit of extra help? Um, I mean, I think if somebody is preventing with kind of like you know any kind of psychological distress, like you know if they're showing signs of depression or um, anxiety or you know not really functioning very well, then I would definitely. I I'm a big I I'm a big believer really in having. Um, kind of uh psychological input alongside medicine i think there's a i think there's a limit to what you can achieve just with medicine alone when it comes to the psycho the psyche really um and i think it's really important i you know whether it's psychotherapy cognitive behavioral therapy mindfulness whatever it is that you know is, will work for you i think that's a really really important thing to address and i think it's important to understand um that while hrt does have an fantastic role and is a game-changing and life-saving for many many people um first of all it's not for everybody and it doesn't help everybody um but really if your main symptom is anxiety and depression normally i would think about treating that uh, I, sometimes i will go straight in with the hrt if i feel that it's really definitely a hormonal component but i think often it, this is much more multifactorial and which should be looked at kind of more holistically i would say i have one question you make estrogen sound absolutely wonderful what happens if a lady takes estrogen and they're not quite in perimenopause or if you give someone who's perimenopausal too much estrogen what would sort of uh, the side effects look like as, so as that so actually that's a very good question really <laughs> because um what we what we when I was saying before that my favorite way to prescribe it is like using transdermal like through the skin these pumps but so people are a little bit in charge of how much estrogen they they use <laughs> if we overdo the estrogen what the one of the main symptoms people tend to find is breast tenderness or breast fullness um because that you would not expect with um HR. what you're doing with hrt is you're replacing it so that you don't have symptoms you're not trying to push people into est what we call estrogenic symptoms and then that could be the weight gain or the breast tenderness or the breast fullness those sorts of things rarely do we overdo it but occasionally i have had some women who have said that you know that this is how they're feeling and i'll say drop back you know use less let's try you want a lower dose estrogen either through a patch or or through the pump like whatever we're using it let's try and drop it back and see how that makes a difference okay
Um, and also, I have one more question, and this is more to do with um, kind of the actual eggs and um, kind of when our periods stop. Um, if uh, and this might be a completely stupid question, and you can you can no. laugh me. <laughs> In terms of um, when we're born, we're born with a certain amount of eggs, yes, and this is yeah. and and, um, and and then as soon as when they're all gone, which is what happens with menopause, they're gone. Does estrogen help? hold on to them so that your periods can stay on for a bit longer or no? So you're basically, you actually, it's not a stupid question at all because I, I, you know, I think lots of people don't know about what their egg counts are like really. You actually have your most eggs at something like, uh, if there's an obstetrician watching this, they'll be able to say something like 32 weeks gestation. When you're actually in the womb is when you have your most eggs. Um, and then when, so in life, you have your most eggs when you're born. Um, and then like basically they start declining <laughs> immediately and and they, well, they definitely start declining from this when you start having your periods like menarche that's when they start to decline and then like you say as you hit your 40s um, mid 40s that's when the they, they kind of really taper off until the end and then just you know there are none East, yeah. what, when you take estrogen into your body you what you're helping is the effects of estrogen on the cells of the body but does nothing to affect your eggs your oocyte count at all, nothing. You can't reverse that process with these. It won't, it won't hold something if you could. <laughs> and one more thing, and we discussed this, and this is a little bit of a uh, uh, whatever um, testosterone. Oh, yes. Now, what does I mean? The amount of testosterone that you would prescribe would that have any effect on kind of muscling um, or anything like that? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you can overdo it actually with testosterone. Yeah, so testosterone is so on the NHS. So testosterone has initially gained traction, I would say, in the private sector actually, but now it is being prescribed more and more in the NHS as well. Um, your testosterone levels, unlike your estrogen levels, which fall quite markedly, like I say, around the perimenopause, around you know forties, mid forties, your testosterone levels are actually in sl slow decline from about your thirties, and it's a kind of slow drip drip effect. And actually, when you do have kind of loss of libido or loss of desire, you know, around the menopause, like I said earlier, it it can be because of testosterone deficiency tip and it can be because of estrogen deficiency but it can also be for like many other factors you know you know in in life there's going on things that are going on in life exhausted running around doing too much la 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 all of these sorts of things um but a lot of women find that you know they, we can get a hold on every symptom except their libido and that is when we actually say you know what let's just try a little bit of testosterone use it in a gel on a sash from a sash and use a little bit um if you, yeah, if you were to overdo it, you would kind of start to have kind of, I guess, a uh, voice, smell, pattern, hair, things like that. I mean, I've never seen, I've right. never, go very sparingly with it. You go gentle. You really, really do. And you only really continue it if it's actually, you only really continue it if, you know, that um, it's working for you. Okay. All we right. Just, we just had a oh, okay. just a hope. <laughs> Um, someone's just said, uh, very interesting, feeling guilty for taking the mick out of my mum for what I now know was probably just brain fog. My <laughs> mum's um, all right, we all um, have. <laughs> and someone has asked, how do you know when the menopause is finished? Um, well, you don't, well, typically you don't. So the, 
there were two ways we use progesterone. Like I said, one is this eutrogesterone that people often use at night, um, which helps them sleep. But the other one is the marina coil. And a lot of people will have the marina coil put in for contraception and then it actually then can act as the progesterone component of their HRT, which means that your periods are absolutely no indicator whatsoever if you're on, you know, treatments that, uh, you know, as to what's going on with, uh, as to when you've gone beyond it. So normally I would say when I'm initiating somebody on, when we, when someone's well established on HRT, the true, the, the decision to come off it or to try coming off it will often be theirs. There are some people that won't even want to be on it for like, after a year or two and saying, I'm feeling fine, but I want to come off it. Normally we would say around about five years and then we would try coming off it quite slowly. And you, you, t you come off it quite slowly rather than just stopping it. And then if you're starting to have, like as soon as you're dropping it down, your flushes or night sweats start coming back like kind of with a vengeance. Then you say, you know what, this is not the right time. Let's continue for now and then let's try in six months or let's try in a year like that because it's it's totally not an exact science. And I can't I like can't emphasize that um, everyone experiences like everyone experiences differently. And, you know, everyone's story is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I, what we've read is that they say um, if you haven't had a period for 12 months, um, but like you said, some people won't even know. But I guess if you have been able to keep track on that. Um, and your periods have stopped after a year, then that then you are yeah. uh, post menopause. Yeah. Or... So if yeah, so if you have not had HRT and your periods just became more spaced out and they stopped when it's been a year since your last period, that's when you will say I have gone through the menop the menopause is done. Um, but that isn't to say that you won't then start having symptoms a bit later on down the line. Interesting. It's been super interesting, Emily. Um, I, I mean, everyone's comments as well, they've yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you for your thank yous, um, really interesting. And yeah. it has, it's been really interesting. It's something that um, Anna and I are now a bit fascinated about. Um, and I really hope that we've been able to kind of enlighten some people who are not maybe quite there yet, but now um, understand it a little yeah. bit more and we'll be able to look out for the, uh, the signs of it. Um, and for the people that are, you know, perimenopausal or menopausal and are going through it, um, we hope that we've helped. And if you have any further questions for us or for Emily, um, you can send us a private message. We can then um, pass them on to Emily. <laughs> <laughs> and I will respond. I mean, the thing, look, I, nothing makes me happier. Like, I think something like 10 or 15 years ago in my local synagogue community, I did a talk on menopause and that's when no one was talking about it. Um, and I just feel so, I feel like we've really, as a society, come a really, really long way because this is something that we are all you know we're all going to experience we're obviously so much better if we go into things with knowledge with preparation with understanding um also we get much better um kind of you know by talking like as women you know often we do like we do get a lot from our friendships from talking from sharing these things and i really feel that you know it, it, i think it's a really really important conversation for us all to be having and to be thinking about it all the time and um, for those of you who've missed the beginning or want to just watch it again, we will save it on our IGTV. So that will be up there and we can share a link if anyone wants it. And um, just finally, we were talking a little bit about our Ace Transform program and our next intake is on the 1st of November. So that's next Monday. So if you wanted some more information, just drop us a message and we can um, send you out an email and get you signed up. 
And but, uh, yes. and if you do want to sign up and you're still having an hour in, please do it as soon as possible so we can get everything ready for you. <laughs> or if you want a phone call, we can arrange that. We've got some nice comments. Not looking forward to it, but so important to know about this. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you so Bex. much. Really interesting. So that's super. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Emily, for your time. Emily, you've been awesome having you. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all soon. Thanks. Have a Thanks, Emily. Bye. Bye.